Well, this is where the cool music goes. Okay, right there. So is there something that you wish that you emphasized that I think I wish I could have said it a little differently concerning holiness and sin? The great challenge of talking about these two subjects is that there's so much to talk about. And I went through a first revision of what I was going to share, and I literally started Xing out so many quotes and scripture verses and and the reason is there's, um, first of all, who can in any way talk about the holiness of God exhaustively? It's just not, I mean, we, we scratch the surface and even the little scratch we gave it, there's so much more scratches. I would say that, um, you know, with the readings that I gave, they're meant to bring you a little, little bit more thought about the topic. But again, there's still so much more. Like R.C. Sproul, for example, he pretty much has talked and written about the holiness of God for most of his ministry. And we're talking about one of the most prominent evangelical Reformed theologians of our time and our day. You would agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't even think he even began to talk about the holiness of God. Like He just started. Mm. So that's why I would say more than even saying what I'd say differently, I would be more of, I wish I could have more time to go over it. A struggle in my own head as we're in a small group is, and this is a topic way beyond our pay grade in some ways, but of how, how do we help our folks to grow in God's holiness, of growing in God's understanding of himself as being the holy God? Mm. What do you think? <laughs> well, what do you think? Uh, Don't cut this out. In Barcelona, yes. you know, uh, this is what I heard. This is not a great personal observation, but how some of the Catholics, they their approach to the transcendence of God mm -hmm. and the otherness of God, mm -hmm. the set-apartness or the holiness mm -hmm. of God, you know, they do it differently than Protestants. One mm -hmm. of them is architecture. Sagrada mm -hmm. Familia mm -hmm. in Barcelona, 140-plus years outside as well as the inside is designed so that your heart, mind, and eyes mm -hmm. are looking upwards mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that itself is a great definition of holiness, mm -hmm. not at all, but they're trying to create a sense, yes. if it's artificial or not, the otherness or the set-apartness that God is mm -hmm. something way beyond mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Coming back to our situation is, how do we do that? Mm. There's lots of ways we do that. Every mm. preaching is, does that. Every Sunday, the reading of God's Word. Or it should. Word. doesn't always do it. Yes, the truth of God, the truths of uh -huh. God from Scripture should, ought to. Now, after Tuesday, I'm like, well, how do I do that in my own life? Like, grow, I want to grow in holiness. It's great when we have a sense of God being, you know, His love being so much other, you know, set apart different, unique, and God be, God's justice being set apart, other, holy. But I'm like, wow, how do I do that on a mm. little more regular basis? Mm. I don't know. Oh, that's a great question. And it's a, actually, I think your first uh, point is a really good one, is that 
that is one area I do think the Catholics and the Orthodox have a much greater understanding of transcendence in their architecture than we Protestants have. I have walked into cathedrals and whether it's, I remember St. Pat just sitting with a group of people in St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York or Notre Dame in Paris. And you really do set a sense grandeur, you know, and, and I, there's, it's very rare to be in a Protestant church sitting there and sense holiness and grandeur just based on the structure of the building. It just doesn't happen because we focus a lot more on imminence, a lot more on our relationship to Christ as uh, to our God as one that there is no separation because of what Christ has done. And that's right, you know, so, but there is something to this idea that I think that you felt when you were in Barcelona and you saw the Sagrada Familia, you know, that, that sense of awe and wonderment that comes with that. I think for me, that is one huge thing. The second thing that we can do is, and I, I, I just think of the ways that I sense God's holiness more is sometimes um, hiking does that for me. What I mean is that I go and see this gigantic redwoods and I'm in the middle of this redwood forest and it's just me and Sua, let's say, and it's just super quiet. And I look up and all I see is this gigantic tree and I think, I'm pretty small next to this tree. I'm like nothing. And then you look up, if you ever go to a night sky and you see, or you go to Yosemite, and you see maybe you go to, uh, like I've been on top of Glacier Point in the summertime when there was the um, there was a meteor shower, a famous meteor shower. Anyway, and we were there. It was one night, and it was just meteors going left and right. And this is why we're sitting on top of Yosemite, and you just realize, oh, boy, God, it's so big, and I am so small. But you know what the third thing is? And this is where Tuesday night was such a, uh, well, why we spent, a lot of time on it is delving deep into our sin because one there's two ways to get the bigness of god one is to see the bigness of god but the second way is to see the smallness of yourself and when you see the smallness of yourself in light of your own sinfulness such as what we observe with the tongue assignment and all the other ways that we realize we cannot not sin we 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 sin we can not sin in moments but we cannot never sin until we see the Lord face to face. As long as we are in this world, we will still sin. And and when you realize just the depravity of your own soul, the corruption of your heart, I know when I feel that way, when I understand that deeply, then I think, wow, I, I can't do this. And why would this incredibly holy God want to send his son for someone like me? That just doesn't make sense to me. So I think for, mo- for people who struggle and wrestle with the justice of God when it comes to suffering, they're always thinking about, well, why does, quote, God bring suffering into this world filled with good people? I think of it as, why does God do anything good at all for someone like me? Or as we talked about on Tuesday, for such a worm as I, you know? And so to me, the holiness of God is understood not just by architecture or creation, but by my own sinfulness and then the work of what Jesus did and how God would send his son. That to me is like this infinite view of God's holiness. 
if you were to say, well, okay, we're taking session two and we want that to be a regular experience in Wellspringers, what could it look like? That's a great question. I think we had this discussion where we've talked about this a lot while we were, especially in Africa, we would say, okay, the abstract is important. The theology, the doctrine mm-hmm. is important, but that theology has to be lived out. And we can't just simply say holiness of God. It has to be exactly your question. Well, what does that look like practically for someone who's driving in a commute? I, so this week I was, um, just spending some time in God's word and, and as I was uh, reflecting on the mercy and kindness of God, just in, I was reading in John, I've been in John 16, and I couldn't help but just be so amazed by how good God is, you know? And I think something that, um, I don't know if it was George who told me this or someone, but maybe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's almost like when you experience the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, Rather than dismissing it, act on it immediately. Mm-hmm. Like make it an immediate thing. So I, these days what I've been trying to do is when I feel the Lord speaking and tugging on my heart in certain ways, I will sometimes just take a moment, you know, it won't be long, but of just worshiping. Or I will literally sometimes open up my hands and just say, thank you, Lord, and, and uh, worship him and give praise to him. I think sometimes that communion that we just talked about actually in the car is something we are, um, the Lord wants to have with us. And we, for some reason, we brush it off so quickly without just stopping. So those pauses throughout the day where you're in the middle of the hustle and bustle, it could be, I mean, it could be doing anything, work, working out, um, talking to your children. And if you feel suddenly a, a sort of a, a, a picture of the Lord or a, a God's word impressed on your heart, rather than just passing by so quickly, take a moment, stop, and just give him praise. You know, Declare him as holy. Say the words, Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. You are powerful. You are king. You are Lord. Even if it's just that. Mm-hmm. And then go back to doing what you're doing. I think it will really literally shape whatever you're doing, actually. That's just one small, teeny, tiny, practical way, you know, that you can, I think, in some way, get more of an understanding of trying to remind yourself of the holiness of God in your life. And then we'll talk about this in future, sanctification by faith, lifestyle repentance. Like, because sin is a um is a significant part of understanding the holiness of god because of that proportionate relationship to god and us and so when i sin it's not sin and oh it doesn't matter it's sin and you repent over that sin you want to turn away from it you want to change and you want to be transformed and it's the gospel that does that work to do that but that repentance and saying oh lord i'm sorry you know i I know you forgive me at the cross. Thank you for freeing me. I'm not condemned because of Jesus and what he's done. So I turn from that sin and I want to follow you again. And that lifestyle repentance, I think, is another actual two sides of the same coin reminder of the holiness of God in a way. Two questions. One of the questions from J.C. Rao's uh, article 
uh, that we actually did not answer mm. in our group is when J.C. Rowell talks about you know children mm-hmm. who have, you will see in the child the buds and germs of deceit, evil temper, selfishness, self-will, obstinacy, greediness, and so on. Mm-hmm. Right From that comes the question, what are some effects? This affects the way you view your life as a believer as you battle sin. Mm-hmm. We discussed that. What we didn't discuss was in your parenting. I don't know why that remains in my head as a concern. <laughs> it would have been a good topic of discussion. That's why it's in my head. Yes. But we didn't. What do you yeah. think? You know, funny you asked that because we did cover that question. And there was a woman who really answered well. Her name, I will leave out, but she happens to be married to someone who's in this room <laughs> and it's not to her. <laughs> Does it? Her name start with L? <laughs> I think it might actually, but I really appreciated. First of all, I appreciated her in our group because she brought so much to us. Um, she tackled this question and she talked about you know some of the challenges that she has in seeing what is not just in your children but in my children and everyone else's children. These the the buds that there is no such thing as an innocent child. Not if you believe in depravity, you know, if you believe in the fact that we are in Adam, you know, and so therefore when Adam sinned, we believe he's the federal head and therefore we sinned in him. That's Just, a technical theological yeah. term, federal head. And I think about it all the time as we're memorizing the passage for session three. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. And, uh, but we're also, according to Romans 5, that same place where we see we're also not just if we are in christ not just in adam those of us who have sinned in adam but if we're in christ we are justified we are righteous in christ and the two are intricately and linked so tightly you cannot believe in justification and the work of the gospel if you don't believe in original sin and in this idea of the inheriting of sin so therefore that's our theological starting point of dealing with a child right so a child is a sinner and it does that child no good if my instinct is to think oh they're absolutely innocent they're good they're and so we talked about how there are instances where a teacher or maybe someone who cares about my children let's say and comes up to me and says sam i want to tell you about what something like let's say in gospel training Let's say one of the leaders or the teachers comes up and says, Sam, uh, one of your kids did this. And if my instinct is, how dare you? How dare you speak about my child like that? They would never do that, right? Well, to me, that means that they don't have a right anthropology of what it means for every person to be a sinner, or what J.C. Ryle is talking about. Um, you will see in the child the buds and germs of deceit, evil temper, selfishness, self-will, obstinacy, greediness, envy, jealousy. Yeah. So that's there. And so if a teacher in gospel training comes up to me and says, Sam, this is what I noticed your daughter or your son doing, it should be, you know, I know my child has the potential to do those things. And now without further investigation, I don't know exactly. But one thing I cannot say is, oh, they would never do that. What I have to say is, it's possible. I need to find out. Can you tell me more if there is um, real validation of what they're saying? Then I need to have, go have, have a serious conversation with my child and possibly discipline. Because my goal is that they would turn to Christ. Not that, uh, and it's not to defend their reputation as a 
good child. Or your yeah, reputation. Maybe, maybe that's the parents' even, reputation. Maybe that's even more a temptation, right? Yeah. So um, I know that because I'm a pastor's kid. <laughs> And how much, you know, pastors, they want to keep their reputation. Yeah, yeah. They don't want their kids to besmirch. And we have pastor's kids. Yes. <laughs> we have pastor's kids. I wasn't a pastor's kid, so I don't know that like you do. But my children know you probably better. Uh, like there, there's more of a connection yeah, between yeah. my kids, yeah. your kids, and what you understand. Then I don't understand that world. It, it's, uh, it's not what I grew up with. But I understand this world, which is we're all sinners even little children. And if you get it right, though, if you actually see this rightly, I really think the goal is to help them to see their need for Christ. So it doesn't help them, a child, if they think they're really awesome, then they'll never need Christ. <laughs> like, why would they turn to him if you've told them their whole life, oh, you're innocent, you, you do great things, and there's nothing bad about you. And J.C. Rawls says the very animals whose smell is most offensive to us have no idea that they're offensive and are not offensive to one another. The first question, our group, we thought that question was funny. Yes. What do you think are your blind spots? meant to be there. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) Now we need to explain it. What do you think are your blind spots regarding sin? Please. (laughs) You know, so if if you agree with J.C. Rawls there, the answer is that there's no way I would fully know exactly myself, right? So I actually, we did deal with that question. I said, did any of you actually ask someone you care about who's in your life regularly, such as a spouse, a parent, or whomever, did any of you ask that question? And I remember someone saying, I don't even have to ask that question. They already, they just volunteer it. Who is this I will not answer. I will not answer this. I don't want to get them, the, the two of them in trouble with each other, yeah. sort of combating. But it's it's a really helpful exercise to actually ask the person who cares about you, you know, loves you, but sometimes is maybe a little afraid to ask you. And, and the reality is that if your instinct is when if you ask that question, they tell you, and you go, "No, come on." Well. That shows you that they've hit a raw nerve. <laughs> don't you think? Well, or you're really blind. Don't, don't you think you can be really blind? Yeah, I think that's the first question, right? <laughs> what do you think are your blind spots regarding you don't know? Yeah. Well, if you, and if you did know, then it wouldn't be a blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. But you really don't know. And yes. then when somebody tells you that's a blind spot, that yeah. becomes a point of like, like, wow, how could I be so wrong? Yes. Or like, how yes. could I be so blind? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. I remember in Sonship, Josiah Bancroft, he would tell this, he told the story of where he, he asked this question to his wife and his wife said, you're an angry man. And he was like, I, I never raise my voice. I don't, how can you call me angry? And he said, and she said, why don't you go ask other people what you think? So he asked his assistant, he asked like different friends without he just said, well, what do you think is my blind spot? And they all said, you're an angry man. Can you imagine that? <laughs> it would have been like a lightning bolt striking you, right? Mm-hmm. And it was at that point he realized that anger, he, in his mind, anger was a certain way. It looked a certain way. It, it had a red face. It was yelling. It was throwing things. It was punching the wall. But you can be really angry without actually mm. exhibiting 
angry-like characteristics. But the only way he said he would ever have known this and could deal with it mm. in Christ is to humble himself enough to actually ask people for right. it, right? Now, I think it's really important that we should at least ask the people, if you're married, you should ask your spouse, I want you to be completely free without judgment. Or what is an area of blind spot for me? And once they, sh once they tell you, you need to take, rather than defend it, take a step back, listen, pray about it, and ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me, is there truth to this? And if there is, then, then maybe it's a start of something, of an mm -hmm. opportunity to, you know, to grow in Christ, actually. Yeah. What do you think? Have you ever done this? Have you ever I think I have, uh, maybe once or twice in the marriage, but I think it should be done more regularly. As well as uh, what came, came immediately to mind is growth for me is always, I'm s begins with I'm so much more sinful mm. than I ever thought. Mm. But a lot of times, you know, that's kind of, I'm blind to mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. sinful I am. Mm. And yet, Usually, the times that I grow is be is when I come face to face with right. that, because that's when I turn to Jesus. Yes, but I think that's an absolutely right, good mm. challenge mm. Um, for you know, ask someone who's close to you what they yeah. think of my spiritual blind spots. Yeah, yeah. Let me add this one thing: is that um, this is not about the blind spots or anything like that. It's you know, for the tongue assignment. For those of you who don't know, we asked everyone to donate $1 for every time you use your tongue sinfully. It could be boasting, it could be deception, it could be anger, it could be gossiping, criticizing. And we were going to collect it and give it all to hands and to, specifically to the GOMA fund for George while he's there because he's buying tents. And, and so not everyone was able to give because they didn't give the money. With what we have, we raised $592. And some of you said you were going to sell that money. I hope you did. So you can be genuinely, like, fulfill your vow. It's, it's, uh, it's such a negative thing to give $592 for sins. But at the same time, it's a reminder that God uses all things for the good of those whom he loves. And so thank you for... Not thank you for sinning. No thank you for sinning, but thank you for giving. That ends today's podcast. Thankful for all of you. We are praying for you that the Holy Spirit is continually working in the gospel and the foundations of the gospel into our lives, into our hearts. So continue praying with your prayer partners and update your, uh, those people who you've asked to pray for you so that they continue to pray for you during gospel well. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you.